Film Soliloquy is back, and I want to let you know before the episode starts, if you're sensitive to talk of suicide, you may want to skip to the second movie, the review of The Untouchables. Uh, The time code should be there in the notes for you to use, uh, because the first movie does cover the topic of suicide. Also, I'm starting a new podcast called Neo Retro video game disco which is hard for me to say but i recorded a trailer for it you'll find that at the end of this episode anyway enjoy yeah like we always do with this yeah yeah, like we always do it this time I go for mine and made plans for yours Cause I got the shine Go bar for bar, go line for line Like Kobe in 99, I'm so close to prime Bad bitch by my side, I'm so close behind We living in a moment, there's no post to bind You think there was a deal that I'm supposed to sign The game's just a mountain that I'm supposed to climb I remember man, 11 years old when I made it to go Up in Fairville, I Hey there and welcome back to Film Soliloquy You're here with the Dancing and Highsmith of podcasting and similar to Dancing and Highsmith, when they jumped off the roof and splatted on the ground, we went away for a while, and now we look more like Hoyts and Gamble. So, we're back. Yeah, man. I took a little bit of hiatus. Me and Jeff had uh, some vacations to attend to. I went to New York for a week. Jeff went to North Carolina for a week. Came back. I was busy. Still didn't watch my movie, but I knocked it out for us. And I got my movie watched weeks ago, so I'm going to be pulling this one from somewhere deep in my memory. <laughs> listen, listen. I know that every episode we have a game we usually play to see who goes first. I'll go ahead and take the hit since it's technically my fault that we haven't got this recording in the can till right now. So I'll go and let you start off first. But, but first, but first, I'm recording from live from a location. I'm actually inside my car in my driveway. So let me go ahead and hold on. Let me lock my doors right quick. There we go. I don't want to get jumped by any of these rich white folks in the neighborhood. So let's go ahead and begin. (laughs) Dear God. Oh, Lord. All right. Speaking of rich white folks, the movie you made me watch this week probably didn't have any rich white folks in it. Although, actually, there were a lot of rich white folks. I was about to say, what movie did you watch? That's apropos. So the movie you made me watch this week was Sin of a Woman. It came out in 1992, directed by Martin Brest. Fortunate name. Uh, it stars Al Pacino, Chris O'Donnell, and a bunch of people that don't matter. Um, I've never seen this. I know it's a classic. I've heard tale uh, that it is supposedly quite good. And uh, so I sat down to watch it with an open mind. So one thing I want to say before I get started... Uh, we're going to do things a little differently. We did a marathon episode for episode two, and I think it burned us out a little bit. Certainly me on the <laughs> editing. So we're going to do a little more off the cuff. Our reviews are going to be a little bit quicker. We're going to try to make this a little more bite-sized. Uh, yeah, that that so, way we can get some more episodes in the can, and we can actually review a movie instead of like giving a synopsis. <laughs> yeah, because once you've listened to our review, you don't need to see the movie. That being said, there still will be spoilers, so tread on at your own peril now before you begin you said so, it is stars how okay. is there a stars who it stars al pacino uh-huh. chris o'donnell and you said and nobody uh, else that matters man that was another guy What's uh, but that's thing? not true yeah uh philip seymour hoffman there you go I yeah because like philip guy. seymour hoffman's in this movie but he this is, is insanely young yep pre-drugs and you got an actor 
in your movie that you're going to mention that is younger and unknown at the time. And in my movie, Philip Seymour Hoffman, I'm pretty sure was pretty unknown. And it's crazy to see a teenager, a teenage version of Philip Seymour Hoffman. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't on right. drugs. Yeah, well, eh, it's hard to tell. But anyway, so <laughs> in this one, this movie is stars Chris O'Donnell as a young guy going to like an Ivy League school with a bunch of rich white folks, as JB would say. Now, there's this group of these rich white kids, one of which is Philip Seymour Hoffman and another actor that plays a kid with no upper lip. I'm dead serious. This kid has no upper lip. Do you know which one I'm talking about, JB? No, that doesn't ring a bell, man, actually. <laughs> Watch it back. You'll be like, oh, yeah, okay, that guy. No upper lip. It's gone. And these three dudes are like bad influence on Chris O'Donnell. But Chris O'Donnell really doesn't give in to any of the peer pressure to a degree. Um, so these three dudes decide to prank the headmaster of the school. And they find out that by another teacher saw that Chris O'Donnell had kind of witnessed who had done it. And so the headmaster school says, Hey, you need to tell me who did this basically, or you're going to be booted out of the school if you don't tell me. And Chris O'Donnell's not a rich guy. He's there on a scholarship. So if he loses that scholarship, he's out of gas. Uh, so he is not going home for the summer. He decides to stay put and get a summer job. The summer job he gets is watching an old retired military man who's played by Al Pacino. I have heard many, many times the phrase, Hoo-ah! and I knew it was Al Pacino. I just never knew what movie it was from. Hoo-ah. And now I do. So Al Pacino plays a blind retired military man who needs assistance. He's still highly functional. It's just the fact that he's blind. He needs a little help getting around. And the family that he's with, which is his daughter and grandkids and her husband are going on a vacation or a wedding or something. And they need someone to watch poor old grandpa. And might I say Al Pacino does a damn good job of convincing you that he's playing a blind guy too. Yeah, he's yes, I agree. Cause so yes. So, Chris O'Donnell gets introduced to uh, Al Pacino via his, the relatives of Al Pacino. <laughs> and immediately, his Chris O'Donnell is just uh, giving him the... Lieutenant Colonel Slade, right? Yeah, Slade. Slade, yes. Yep. Which is an awesome name. Anything that rhymes with Blade, you're good. So, he immediately starts giving this guy the business, like giving him a real hard time. And one of the things that happens early on, he grabs... Uh, Chris O'Donnell grabs Slade's arm to kind of guide him and Slade rips his arm away and say, don't you ever touch me. I'll kill you. <laughs> I believe it was a death threat. It's been a while, but I'm pretty sure it was a death threat. I like how you had to put that pun in there. It's been a while. Understood. Understood. Got it. No, that's not a pun. A punch. For a two p- reasons. It's little. not a pun, but it also wasn't me jabbing punch, at you. Punch, it's punch. literally been a while. I can't, I can't be held responsible <laughs> From my memory of this movie, because I saw it three weeks ago or more. I apologize, So, I remember enough of it. I apologize. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. (laughs) All right? All right. Good. So, they, as soon as the parents and the family leave for their vacation, immediately, did you hear that snap? Mm -hmm. Immediately, 
Al Pacino starts packing up. He starts throwing stuff in his suitcase. He starts telling um, Chris O'Donnell to grab his blues and let's go. And by blues, I mean his his formal outfit. Is he Navy or Marine? Uh, I can't remember. I can't remember. I think Army. Yeah. So his military outfit, his formal military outfit, and they're going on a trip. And he says, we're going to New York. And Chris O'Donnell did not sign up for this. All he thought he was going to do was babysit an old blind guy. So they get on the plane um, and Al Pacino immediately starts ordering drinks. He's an alcoholic. So he starts getting drinks. He starts getting a little sauced. And feel free to jump in and remind me of things I missed because I, I, I am I remember something on this plane where he really kind of the scent of the woman scent of a woman title is sort of why it's called that is in the scene where he talks about the smell of a woman. Yeah, he, like the stewardess came by and he was like, I'm getting he's like, I'm 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 starting to get a, a sense of something. And he is like, uh, I think he even mentions her name and he's like, Ooh, yeah, man. And what's in between them? Like he's like the legs long. And what's in between them? Ah, <laughs> he's just like crazy with it, man. <laughs> yeah, he's a he's a ugh, he's right. a freak, man. So, he, yeah, he okay. Well, I'm not going to go any further into that. But mm. so they land and they go to a really nice restaurant. And one of the funny things I thought about this was Chris O'Donnell pulls open the menu and he's like, "Oh, fifteen dollar was a fifteen or twenty five dollar burger? Oh, that's expensive." And to me. And the restaurant he's saying, and granted, it's inflation. $25 at the nicest restaurant in town for a hamburger. Probably the cheapest thing you're going to get on the menu. But Especially in New uh, York. Yeah. And at some point, either here or maybe back in the hotel, they go through a lot of antics and of, of him just kind of dragging Chris O'Donnell around. But at one point, he says very bluntly to Chris O'Donnell that his plan is to, to go have a movie, go for a drive. And uh, kill himself on by the end of the trip. And Chris O'Donnell kind of goes, wait, what? Uh, huh? And he then tries to talk him out of it. He's not sure if he's serious because he is this kind of crazy guy that's been kind of busting his butt the whole time they're together. So he's not really sure if, hey, is he just messing with me? What's going on? So he kind of hears him out. Uh, one of the things they do is they go to... And I, this may have been before the trip to New York or shortly thereafter. When they get to New York, he goes to his brother-in-law's house or his brother's house. And his extended family is there. And you can tell that there's a lot of animosity. Mm-hmm. Um, one as of soon the, as he walks in the door, you feel it. I think it's his son-in-law I think who is this. played by an... He's, it's, I think it's his son-in-law and he's played by an actor that's in Billy Madison. He's <laughs> yeah. also in Get Out. Um, he plays the dad and get out and, uh, cabin in the woods. Was he in cabin in the woods? Oh yeah, yeah that's right. Mm-hmm. Um, so he is really doesn't like Al Pacino's character, uh, because of the way he acts around the family. There's clearly some burnt down bridges here. And the whole time this guy, uh, cabin in the woods guy is ragging on Al Pacino at any time he, hits Al Pacino with a real, a real singer. He just goes, Hoo-ah! like he's not <laughs> taking any of it personally, but at the same time, you can kind of see it hurts, but it's almost like why he went there. There's part of his character. I don't like, he went there not to reconcile things, but almost allow them to beat him up. 
Well, I mean, he went there to go visit his brother because I'm pretty sure he knows he's about to kill himself. So he wants to visit family one more time. He even screams his name. As soon as he gets in here, he's like, let's give your old, let's give your dad uh, a heart. Let's give his heart a little an attack. And he's like screaming his name. Will I? Will I? <laughs> <laughs> so they, uh, they have dinner. It doesn't go well. There's a big fight. He kind of gives a last goodbye to his brother and they take off back to the city. Um, I can't remember too many more of the key scenes other than, um, Chris O'Donnell comes into the room. He sees Al Pacino assembling and disassembling a handgun and, uh, something as a military man. Yeah. He's very proud of, and he assembles and disassembles it. And he asks, um, Chris O'Donnell to time him. And he, you know, of course he's like, ah, I can do better. So he talks about, he's going to be killing himself and now Chris O'Donnell's starting to believe him. Okay, this is real. This guy is suicidal. So he says, "Why don't you said you want to go for a drive. Let's go for a drive. And they go out to the Ferrari store. And there's a sales guy there. And they somehow talk this guy into letting them leave the lot and test drive a Ferrari. The whole time, Al Pacino's blind, but they're pretending he's not. And so there's a point in this movie where Al Pacino is playing a blind man driving a Ferrari. He gets pulled <laughs> over by the police and Al Pacino using his uh, camaraderie with this police officer who is also a military man is able to get out of a ticket, not have to show his license and drive back to the, to the Ferrari dealership and return the car. Uh, but something happens at when they get pulled over after the cop leaves, Chris O'Donnell says that no more I'm driving. And Al Pacino says, that's okay. I guess I won't be driving anymore. And what he's saying is that's the last time I'm driving ever. Mm-hmm. Because that night, the plan is to kill himself. Now, there's there's two things going on with Chris O'Donnell. You have him trying to console oh, right. and trying to convince um, it, Lieutenant Colonel Slade Al Pacino not to kill himself. He also has his own turmoil of... Even like uh, having the opportunity to snitch out his friends to keep himself from being expelled. So all of that is just like all of that is just a whirlwind in his head right now. He's got so much going on. Uh, but I'll let you go and talk about that further. Yeah. Thank you for reminding me because that is kind of a key plot point. So during this time, they do grow to love one another as friends. And one of the things is he confides in Al Pacino about this issue he has back at school, he's been given an ultimatum, either snitch out his friends or lose his scholarship. And Al Pacino says, well, just snitch them out. They're rich. You're not. They have money. They're privileged. You're not. Just snitch them out. You know, what's the big deal here? Chris O'Donnell's like, "Ah, it just doesn't feel right. That's not the right thing to do. So, that's a constant thing that kind of comes around. And uh, uh, periodically during this trip to New York, Chris O'Donnell is checking in with Philip Seymour Hoffman and they're just kind of going over what's going on. So at one point after the car ride that we talked about, he asked Chris O'Donnell to go get something, get him a cigar, go get me a cigar from this place down, down two streets or whatever. And Chris O'Donnell, like an idiot. All right. <laughs> This guy has told you he's planning on committing suicide. He's told you 
when he's going to commit suicide. When that date and time comes around, he asks you to leave, go two blocks away. What is he thinking? Okay. Now, granted, Chris O'Donnell's character doesn't make it out of the hotel. He quickly turns around and says something doesn't feel right, but he should have known from the jump. All right. So he gets back into the hotel room. Uh, Al Pacino's in his suit, in his blues, his military blues, and he's got his gun loaded and it's ready to go. The whole time, Chris O'Donnell's like, don't do this. You don't need to do this. We had fun. We went driving. There's more that you can live for. And he basically through a series of events, points the gun at Chris O'Donnell and Chris O'Donnell's like weeping. He's like, just do it, man. Just kill me. You know, as almost as a way to try to call Al Pacino's bluff. And it works. Al Pacino relents. He puts his gun down and he's upset, you know, but he also feels that someone does care about him. Even though his immediate family doesn't, this kid, cares about them. So they go back to their respective homes. Now Chris O'Donnell has to go back to school. And this headmaster is so, what's the word I want to use? He's like, all right. So someone vandalized his car. That's what happened in the beginning of the movie. His car got vandalized by these three students. One with no upper lip. And (laughs) the, the, what he decides to do is hold like a press conference. He has the entire assembly of students in the auditorium. He's got these teachers and the heads of the board all here for what is an act of vandalism. And it looks like a courtroom because you have Philip Seymour Hoffman on one side with his dad and you have Chris O'Donnell by himself. Philip Seymour Hoffman kind of halfway admits to what happened. He kind of sold his friends out, but he did it in a way... That is like not even a full committal. It's almost like maybe that's what I saw. I guess that could have been it. So he kind of half-assed it. So it bounces back to Chris O'Donnell. And Chris O'Donnell's like, I got nothing to say. What I said, I saw nothing. I didn't see anything. So Chris O'Donnell's decided, I'm not selling anybody out. As much as my scholarship is important to me, my integrity means more to me. I'm not selling anybody out. When this happens, Al Pacino enters the auditorium and he sits next to him and they have a little argument about whether or not he can be there. Al Pacino firmly wins that they're about to expel Chris O'Donnell when Al Pacino gives a speech and it's a rousing speech. And he's talking about how much he's learned from Chris O'Donnell as a human and how much integrity it takes to this. This guy's a stand up guy. He wouldn't sell his friends out when you billionaires and millionaires would have him do it. This is the guy that you should have in your school as opposed to these people that can just afford it. It's a nice yelling speech too, man. It's, it's really He's, well it's, said. It's meant for Al Pacino to say, right? He's just great at yelling. So he does his speech and the crowd stands on their feet and they're clapping and everything. And this is the one of the little parts that annoyed me. I've been to school and I've seen exactly zero standing ovations at an assembly that's ran by a teacher. It just doesn't happen. All right. They might've bought into what he said, but I kind of didn't buy that. So anyway, this speech convinces everybody, but the headmaster that they should not suspend or expel 
Chris O'Donnell's character, therefore he does not get expelled. These two are now friends. Uh, they kind of go back to their respective places. He's a father figure to Chris O'Donnell, which you don't really learn much about Chris O'Donnell's family. Um, but he clearly didn't want to go home for whatever holiday it was at that time. And um, that's the end of the movie. They roll credits. Did I miss anything? Uh, just one key point of why he got, of how he was blind um, during that dinner at, uh, at his brother's house. Uh, that uh, actor, I forget his name, but he was kind of explaining why Al Pacino was such a dick. Um, and that he used to play with hand grenades in the tent of the army base. And uh, one hand grenade, he started pulling the pins out of it because he was drunk. And one of the grenades got away and it exploded and made him, the shrapnel hit him in his eye. And that's why he's blind. Mm-hmm. But other than that, yeah, I mean, pretty much got it. That's, that's it. I did that in about uh, 18 minutes, which is shaved about 40 minutes off of my time from the last movie I reviewed. <laughs> so where does this stand? Yes, in so, the pantheon of film I, soliloquy. So, so again, I like. I, I me personally, I thought I would have never liked this movie. Uh, it was suggested to me by my wife, and just hearing the name of the title, I'm like, "What is this garbage?" And then I was like, "Oh, Al Pacino," and then Chris O'Donnell, who I only knew before from Batman and Robin, back in the day, and ended up, man, this it was, it was a complete surprise. So, what do you thought about this movie, sir? Uh, I was not surprised by it. Well. Well, I was a little bit because I thought it was going to be more of a romance movie because of the title that mm-hmm. that Chris O'Donnell's character was going to have this woman he's kind of into and he's shy and he doesn't know how to woo women. And this uh, this older gentleman was going to show him how to uh, woo a lady. And that wasn't the plot at all. So that was a surprise. I was not surprised that Al Pacino's amazing. Uh, if not just kind of playing himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, even the tango scene. I forgot about that. Him teaching Chris O'Donnell how to do the tango with that, uh, with that stranger, that stranger, that, that pretty young lady at the, at the, mm-hmm. at the restaurant. Oh, that was, that was good. That was pretty good. Yeah. And that's kind of, that little scene was what I thought the whole movie was kind of going to be. The story was good. It was a little predictable. I mean, I knew kind of where we're going. I knew Al Pacino wasn't going to bump himself off. Oh, he did it? I thought he was going to kill himself. I thought he was a... Well, it doesn't make sense of the plot. Because you have these two guys who don't like each other. And, of course, they grow to like each other. And there's other movies, which I can't think of right now, where it's a similar plot. Um, You know, I, I actually think of Creed. With Rocky and Apollo Creed's son, they kind of have a similar like mentor relationship that becomes a true friendship in a father-son sort of way like this movie does. The acting's great. There's really not much to dislike. It didn't blow me away, but it was still good. So I'm going to put it in the B territory, just a mid-B. Nice. Bria going to be mad at me? Nah, man. That's good. All right. Well, your turn. I get to sit back and relax now. So, yes, the movie you suggested me was The Untouchables. It was made in 1987. Now, when you started telling me the name of this cast, I was like, oh, my goodness, this movie's going to be dope. And you delivered. So it has Kevin Costner, Sean Connery, uh, Robert De Niro, who I love Robert De Niro, and uh, Andy Garcia, who is 
uh, now pretty much a pretty famous actor, but even the beginning of the film where they're doing all the, the title and all that stuff, I don't even think they really mentioned his name. So obviously he's like one of those new up and coming actors, but man, it was a good movie. So it's, it's a true story based on the life of Al Pacino, not Al Pacino, <laughs> uh, Al Capone. <laughs> so it's a movie about Al Capone and Kevin Costner plays Elliot Nest. And it's, it's, uh, during the, the roaring twenties and the early thirties when prohibition is, uh, is happening in America. And this, this movie is actually based out of Chicago. So, Al, Al Capone is a, a, a notorious mobster from the Italian family. Um, he basically just gets, played he, by Al he gets a lot of his, I mean, uh, Robert De Niro. <laughs> yeah. Al Capone is played by Robert De Niro. Al Capone is played by Robert De Niro and he gets his fortune right now by selling liquor to the residents of Chicago. Kind of like a, you know, it's illegal, it's an illegal drip. It's an illegal drink right now during prohibition. And he does it by any means necessary. He's a very violent criminal. He has people killed. Uh, it, it's, it's pretty bad, but uh, yeah, even to I'll go ahead and just talk about the, the opening scene is a kid gets killed. I mean, he's that kind of ruthless. Yeah. So one of the things that the, that these mobsters do is they want to sell their, their drink to these establishments in these bars. And if they refuse, if these bars refuse to actually purchase their drink and sell it to the community, then they end up blowing them up. So this, this beginning scene of the film opens up where this bar, the, the owner of a bar is saying, Hey, I don't want to sell your, your nasty green drink here. None of my Patreons are actually drinking it. And so I really don't want to purchase it from you. And he's like, well, all right, well, well, no problem. Then you don't have to buy it. So then his buddy leaves a suitcase on the bar stool and they're leaving the, they're leaving the bar. And this little girl, this 10 year old girl says, Hey, mister, you know, you're forgetting your suitcase. Hey, mister. And then the thing explodes right next to her and just blows up the bar. It's horrific. I was like, wow, that's, I guess that's how you open up a movie. Yeah. So I, and me and Elliot, you as parents, I don't like child death, like in movies, it, you know, mm-hmm. but once you get past that, now it's time to roll. Yeah, I mean the whole movie's role after without really spoiling the the end score, but I I really enjoyed the movie. Um, I think Kevin Costner playing Elliot Ness that he has to get his man, and you can many different genre movies of cop movies and detective movies. They always kind of talk about Elliot Ness trying to get his man, and this is a, a the, basically the story of it. It's it's really great, and Robert De Niro just he plays such a sinister guy trying to you know, just be a mob boss in Chicago. Uh, it's, I have to say, man, it's really great. So Kevin Costner, he, he, uh, he starts to accumulate his team. Uh, Sean Connery, it plays a, a beat cop walking the streets of Chicago. He ends up picking him up and, uh, Sean Connery's character just knows the streets ins and out. He knows where to get uh, he knows where to get the booze. He knows who, who the connections are. Uh, Andy Garcia is a, a new cop off fresh out of the police academy. He gets recruited because of his, because he's able to, he's a, he's a great marksman. Um, so out of the, the group of two people that they, they picked out, he was picked because of his wit <laughs> and his charisma. Well, and he didn't take any guff. Like there's like this wonderful scene where Basically, Sean Connery just goes on a racist rant against Andy Garcia. Mm-hmm. He's like, what's your name? Yep. He's like, what's your name? 
and uh, he tells him his his fake name. And he goes, no, what's your real name? And he says this Italian name. He goes, oh, I knew it, man. You know, you're, you're one of those guys. You're sneaky. You're conniving. And uh, Andy Garcia pulls a gun at him, puts in his throat, puts a push against his throat. And he goes, I'll kill you where you stand. He goes, I like this guy. Yeah, that was a great scene. <laughs> and Kevin Costa, I like him too. <laughs> so there's a, there's some key points that I'll, uh, key scenes in the movie that I really like to point out. Uh, one is the, uh, the bridge gunfight where they're actually trying to do a setup with the Canadian police and and Kevin Costner's uh, group of the untouchables. They're trying to actually f- capture a transaction of uh, money exchanging hands for illegal booze being brought down from Canada. That whole gunfight uh, across the bridge of them trying to escape the Canadian police is phenomenal, man. And I have to say that uh, I really like the pre-CG blood stages where you can actually see the blood exploding from their shirts. <laughs> Squibs are still better than CG every time. Yes, absolutely. It's, I agree completely. Mm-hmm. It's, it's great, man. Just the the gun scenes on that is phenomenal. Um and then there's one part during the interrogation where a lot of the men die, except this one guy. And uh, they're basically trying to make him confess, like, hey, tell us what this ledger is. We need the information so we can actually put Al Capone away. We know his name's on this ledger. We need to find a way to to connect him with the money so we can get him on tax evasion. And he's like, nope, I'm not snitching him. I'm not doing it. And Sean Connery's character is like, you know, we're going to make him talk. And he punches him in the face. And Kevin Costner's a real by the book, by the law, yeah. man. He's like, no, we can't do it this way. So Sean Connery goes outside, finds a dead corpse on the ground who, unbeknownst to the to the accountant, doesn't know that he's dead. He pins him against the wall and says, you're going to talk. You're going to tell us what we need to know. Oh, you're not talking, eh? And obviously he can't talk because he's a dead man. <laughs> so he puts a gun down his mouth and he says, you can talk with a gun in your mouth. I'll give you to the count of three to talk. And so he counts to three and just blows his head off. (laughs) (laughs) And so the account's like, oh, I'll talk. I'll talk for sure now. (laughs) This this dude's crazy. (laughs) So they get that guy to to go to court to confess. And uh, unfortunately, he doesn't make it. Uh, There's a lot of corrupt cops in the town of Chicago. A lot of corrupt officials. The mayor's corrupt. The alderman's corrupt. And so one of the cops, uh, well, actually one of the, the mob, um, I guess lieutenants in the mob, uh, ends up killing a couple cops and putting on the uniform. And then so when they're transporting him down the elevator and the service elevator, they, he kills the, the informant with a headshot and then also kills one of the untouchable men and then actually writes in the blood, uh, the blood on the wall on the elevator saying, touchable so basically knowing that uh, you guys can be can be hurt and uh brings up to another scene uh that's that's really stands out in the movie is sean connery's character um he wants to they they actually have another accountant who can actually decipher the ledger and so he gets information from one of his old buddies in the police force uh who was actually corrupt as well but uh he he turns him he he give he gives away his position, and one of the <laughs> this scene right here is just pretty out. It's just outrageous, I have to say. The they go to his house to kill him, and he 
He's, he's, he's about to get stabbed in the back and he turns around with a shotgun and says, you, you're trying to hear to kill me. You need to get out of my, you need to get out of my house. And as soon as he steps outside, uh, one of the assassins just shoots him with a Tommy gun, man. One of the drum guns from Fortnite just yeah. lays <laughs> lead into him and he's, yeah. he's screaming, you know, obviously he's getting riddled with bullets from the front. Then he spins around and gets shot in the back several times, blood spraying everywhere. And I'm like, this dude is dead. Hell nah, man. This is James Bond, man. <laughs> this is old school James Bond. He, he hits the ground hunting and he's like crawling. He's like, uh, he's just crawling across his floor and like, damn, he, he, he's got to be dead. Nope. <laughs> Elliot Ness comes. Well, I probably want to say what a few hours later, it seems yeah. like <laughs> he comes in like a few hours later, finds the trail of blood that goes from his back door all the way past the kitchen all the way past the bedroom hooks a left and goes straight all the way into the front of his house. I'm like, damn dude, that dude army crawled about what? About 30 feet. Yeah. <laughs> and he probably got shot at least 50 times <laughs> by 50 bullets. So Sean, uh, Kevin Costner, Elliot Ness gets, gets on top of him and like, all right, obviously he's just going to flip over a dead corpse. Nope. Sean Connery is moving his hands. He's breathing hard. <laughs> like, man, this dude is still not dead. He's like the sloth kill from Seven. <laughs> yeah. And so you can see Sean Connery just trying to reach out and he's trying to grab. There's these two objects that are in front of him and he pull, he, he gets one of his, uh, his sentimental chains that has a key on it and a heart and, uh, some, one of the saints. And so he reaches it, Kevin Costner hands it to him and Kevin and, uh, and Sean Connery is pretty much, he's disgusted by this. He goes, no, I don't want this. I want that piece of paper over there. Yeah. Like if you can talk to him, like, no, dumbass. <laughs> and uh, again, he's obviously he probably doesn't have any, he just has his lungs are filled with blood, <laughs> but he still has the strength to, to forcefully say, no, I want, you know, to, to point his finger and he gets the piece of paper. And at this last breaths, he's, he was saying, uh, the accountant. And he's like, is this thing? He goes, yes, he's on this train. And then he grabs, he grabs Kevin Costner and he goes, what are you prepared to do? And he still doesn't die. He's like looking at him, right? Yeah. <laughs> and then he lets out this exasperating breath that you could tell this is his last breath of air. And you think it's it. No, no, he's still not dead, man. Then he rolls over a little <laughs> bit and flails his arms around. <laughs> like, this is like the longest death scene ever, man. And then he finally dies. So, then, yeah. yeah, got him. Uh, another awesome scene is this, uh, the, the last gun battle scene where they're trying to actually get the accountant at the, at the terminal of the train station and this epic gun battle just playing out where there's this little infant boy in a, uh, what do you call those? A stroller, like a, a 1930 stroller. Yeah. And it's, an old it's stroller. falling down the stairs in slow motion as bullets are flying left like and right. Yeah. Yeah. Carriages. Yep. Exactly. So the carriage is just falling down the stairs with a baby in, with a baby in it. Uh, bullets are flying out like we're, we're watching the Matrix back in the day or something. It's, it's pretty good. It's a great gun battle. And, uh, Elliot Ness comes out on top with his, uh, with his rookie cup, uh, Andy Garcia winning that gun battle. Man. And then so, it, the, the last end. Cause it sounds like you're going to gloss over it, over it. And I don't, I don't want that to happen. I was told I interrupted you too All much, right. but I'm not letting this one slide. So 
They're pulling up. <laughs> Who told you that? Lakendra? Yeah, Lakendra. Hey, Lakendra. They're pulling up the carriage. Hey. And the the cop, Elliot Ness starts to get in a gunfight because he sees one of the guys. And the carriage starts going back down with baby inside. As it's going down, mm-hmm. Stone, Andy Garcia, slides into place to catch it. And he's on his back holding the carriage. And he's got a gun up looking at one of the guys. And Elliot Ness is holding his pistol at uh there's the accountant that they're trying to get and one of the guy the mob guys and he's like you're letting me go and i'm taking the accountant with me if you don't i'm going to kill the accountant and then you have nothing and elliot ness goes you got him stone and stone goes yeah i got him elliot ness drops his arm (laughs) and he goes take him and he just pops him and it's so awesome it's my favorite scene in the movie that is pretty good. You just see the brain, brain spider on the wall. And again, it, it, it's a testament to the beginning of the film where uh, Stone, Andy Garcia's character, is an excellent marksman with a pistol. Uh, so he shoots a happy face in calm. one of the paper targets. He's just like, mm-hmm. I got this. Like, it's it's awesome. And then the last scene is is them in the courthouse. They finally have evidence. They have the ledger. They have the accountant. They're, they're putting everything together against... Uh, against uh robert nero al capone's character and uh one of the less damning evidence is that uh, al capone you can see paper being shuffled between him and one of his assassins they're actually trying to bribe the they're trying to bribe the jurors uh they have a dollar amount next to the juror's name uh that evidence actually gets pushed over to the to the judge who was who was forced to to change out the jury because he he was told and lied to that his name was on the ledger. So obviously, if his name wasn't on the ledger, but he believed it, he's actually a corrupt judge. <laughs> mm-hmm. So uh, ended up one of the, the the defendant of Al Capone says, "You know what? We're going to go ahead and change our plea from not guilty to guilty because the, the evidence is just pretty damning." And uh, Al Capone just goes nuts. He's very angry about it. And uh, it, it shows that he went to the prison for 11 years. So <clears throat> right after the movie, I started Wikipedia and everything. I'm like, there's no way this 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 mobster, this boss has been killing people. The most uh, notorious you know, mob boss in American history. Yeah, uh, it's, th- his his crimes are just outrageous murder bribery corruption racketeering you name it he's done it all i'm like this and he gets he gets hit with tax evasion you know wesley snipes got hit with that man (laughs) 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 he got one of wesley snipe crimes (laughs) like there's no way and yep sure enough i I read on wikipedia that is actually what he goes to jail for for uh 11 years and his, his health in in the actual jail deteriorated because he had syphilis and uh, ended up affecting his brain, his nervous system, and he turned into early dementia. And uh, after he was released from jail, from he was released from jail eight, eight years later because uh, he paroled out. He ended up moving down to Florida and living in one of his mansions, and he didn't live much longer after that. He ended up dying at the age of 33, I think. He's a young guy. Either 33 or 43. One of those two numbers. It's wow. a 10-year gap. Crazy. Yeah, it's, I'm, I think it's 33, man. We'll, we'll, we'll probably do a follow-up on our next podcast. No, nah, probably but not. We'll forget. That's it, man. Uh, yeah, probably so. Yeah. I'll write a note down, maybe. But yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's pretty much that movie. I, I, I'm, I'm really glad you gave it to me. That's a movie I would have never thought I'd end up watching. Um, I've seen a lot of Robert De Niro and Sean Connery movies and Kevin Costner. I've never even heard of the movies, The Untouchables. 
And uh, I was surprised I'm, I'm really that glad she hadn't seen it because I'm like, this is Jason. Yeah. Jason would love this. It, it's great. There's only two scenes that I I didn't like, and I guess because it's, one of them is because the age of of um, special effects. Uh, there's a scene where they're actually flying in an airplane. And it's, you can tell, man, Yeah, <laughs> like they have a fog And I know the second scene, it's a special fog. effects issue. They... <laughs> so they're, they're flashing, they're pushing fog into the plane. You could tell that's obviously fake. Uh, go ahead and with your scene, whether it's, no, you so I think, tell, tell like... me if I'm wrong, but I think the second scene you're talking about is when he fights the dude in the white suit on top of the courthouse and he throws him yep. off and there's that green screen. <laughs> oh, it looks bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty bad. So that part, those are the two special effects, and there's just one more acting scene I I, I didn't like. It's uh one of the the mothers of, the mother of that ten year old girl that was blown up at the bar. Yeah. She shows up at Elliot Ness's office, and she was saying, "Hey, you know that was my daughter that was killed in the bar. I, I commend you for trying to capture Al Capone." And you could tell, like. You, I, you could tell in her face and the way she's speaking that she's starstruck. Like, hey, I'm talking to Kevin Costner. You can actually see her trying to smirk in between her fake crying. It's pretty bad. Man. Yeah, it is. Bad. I say that's the only that's the only bad acting part of the entire movie. Everything else is phenomenal. Kevin Costner does a phenomenal job. Uh, Sean Connery plays this old, you know, beat down best. beat cop who's just trying to. He's just trying to make it through retirement, trying to get to retirement, actually, by walking a beat downtown. Uh, Andy Garcia is an up and coming actor. He, like, like you kind of elaborated into it that he's a really smooth guy. His his best. mannerism, his speech, and he's he's really good. And of course, Robert De Niro. He, I think he even kind of shaved his head down to make him appear bald, kind of like how Al Capone was. Mm -hmm. He does a great job too, yeah. especially that scene where he beats that guy over with a baseball bat. It's pretty <laughs> brutal. <laughs> yeah I, I mean it, Andy Garcia's bad. character might be my favorite just because at this time when I saw it in the 90s I loved action heroes that just could not be stopped they were cool and calm in every situation he was awesome mm -hmm. the body count in the movie is pretty good uh, the, the the two people there's four untouchables in total two of them die uh, so you got Sean Connery ends up dying, and the other actor I forgot I don't know, I don't know, know his name. He's yeah. good though; he's really uh, good in this, and I and you do feel bad for him when he's gone because he's kind of he comes to Elliot Ness as this accountant basically, and he's the guy who says, "Hey, we can get this guy for tax evasion." He's the one who, mm -hmm. who tells Elliot Ness we can do this, and he's just so happy to be used in a capacity that isn't just paper pushing he's a really great character and i i did feel for him when he died so yep he got shot right in the eyeball man yeah it's pretty bad rip <laughs> so yeah i would have to say i definitely love this movie um uh, i'll give it a i'm giving it a b okay all right so that's two weeks in a row where we've copied each other's scores mm -hmm. all right i wouldn't say copy man i knew what i was giving it before i even knew i didn't know what i was giving it but i reviewed mine first so there's no way i could have copied you Exactly. All right. So next week, do you want me to give you your movie first or are you going to give me my movie first? Man, you gave me, I think you went first last time. So I'm going to go first this okay. time. Okay. All right. Cool. Cool. How I'm going to introduce this movie. All right. It is an action movie. Okay. So I know how you love your action I movies. I love an action movie. And all right. It's depressing as hell. Oh, good. Right? Yay. <laughs> 
<laughs> so it's a great action movie, but it's depressing. All right. It's got Mark Wahlberg in it. All right. Okay. And it's, they're a Navy SEAL team. Okay. All right. And it's called Lone Survivor. I've never seen it. So, uh, all right. Oh, yeah. I'm a, I'm a little concerned. Let, let me, I'm not, obviously I'm not going to go into it because uh, we're going to go right. into it next week, but well, Mark Wahlberg is, is not I saw it one in the of my favorite theater. actors. So what? I For like real? him in, in certain things, but when it comes to serious acting, like a comedy, he's really good and action. He's pretty good, but mm-hmm. just to see, to put out a serious piece of acting, maybe this will change my mind. All right. Well, that's this will be a good test for it. I, I think he does a pretty good job in the role that he's in. I saw this movie in the movie theater. I they this was originally this is a true story and it was uh, a book was written about it and then they turned the book into a movie. And the title should give you a pretty much a good synopsis of what it's about. It's called uh, Lone Survivor. The funny thing is, so I saw this movie theater with my wife. Uh obviously that doesn't start off with just one character, and then she was like, dang. Everybody's dying. I'm okay, like, oh, chill what the out. You think the title right, is called? Chill out. You're giving me too much. I want to go in blind. Well, I mean, right? it's the title, man. Uh, well, it's kind of easy. It's okay. called Lone Survivor. Okay? All right, I got it. <laughs> I imagine there'll be one guy left at the end of the movie. All right. Or is there? Could oh, I don't know. Never know. So, your turn. I have selected a movie with all, only one actor. I think you know of. And this actress starred in the worst movie we've ever seen. Oh, this is starting off great. You, you know who I'm talking about? Uh, nah, man, I don't. Nicole Kidman. Mm-hmm. All right. Oh, Jesus. All right. So birth? I'm not making... Did I can't... Birth make a sequel? No. I'm Did not... Birth make a sequel? <laughs> no. Birth did not make a sequel. I'm not making you watch Birth. I'm making you watch a movie that I really love. It's, But I haven't seen it in a while, so I'm going to rewatch it this week. It's been a long time. It's directed by Alejandro Aminabar, and it stars Christopher Eccleston, who you wouldn't know, but he's one of the Doctor Whos. It came out in 2001, and it is called The Others. Say say that title again, man. The Others. The Others. You want an IMDb link? Nah, nah. I'm a. You li- said you're ordering that movie, right? I got it coming in the mail. It'll be here tomorrow. All right. What is that about? Give me a synopsis. I'm not, not ta- it's about a haunted house. All right? <laughs> That's all you get. Oh, Lord. What the hell, man? I thought we had a rule. No, we had a rule. No, demons. Trust, all right? Oh, okay. It's haunted. Listen, trust. Okay, I'll trust you. Listen, it's no more okay. or less haunted than House on Haunted Hill. Or ha- oh, Haunting of Hill House. Hill House? Yeah. So well, if man. you can sit through I mean, the Haunting of Hill strikes. House. I mean, you got, you got Haunting. You got Haunting. Strike number one. Wait, what? Nicole Kidman. Strike number two. That's not a strike. <laughs> Just because she was in one horrible movie. All right. Uh, she was in that other movie with Tom Cruise. That was horrible. What oh, was that? Um, that? that Kubrick movie. Uh, Eyes Wide Shut? Yeah, that was oh, terrible. God. Yeah. You know what else she was terrible in? She was terrible in Days of Thunder. She was horrible. Okay, listen. Alright. This is the best <laughs> Nicole Kidman movie ever made. Give it a chance, alright? Don't judge it yet. <laughs> I'm hating already. All right. I ain't even seen it yet. <laughs> let's let's close out. Uh, this is episode Trey 3. Uh, and as always, the music you heard... We made it. 
As always, the music heard at the beginning and the end of each episode was given to us by Sir Flame. You can follow him on Twitter and uh, Instagram at Set It On Flame. Uh, you can follow our show on Twitter at Film Soliloquy. And uh, you can listen and subscribe wherever you listen now. We are everywhere. So, uh, yeah, we did it, man. Through hard times of turbulations. All right. We're back. We're, 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 we're committed to being more consistent. We would like to have something to you every Wednesday. And that's the plan. We're going to try to get some in the hole. Here we go. Anyway. Hey, uh, hey, hey. Before you go. Okay. Before you go. My man, Jeff, has a new podcast oh, well, coming out. Yes. Tell him about it. I got a new podcast coming out. It's a bit insane. The trailer's out on Spotify and Stitcher right now. I'm working on getting it on iTunes. Uh, It's called Neo Retro Video Game Disco, and it's about new video games that are inspired by old video games that kind of take us back to when we were kids. And uh, it's Mm going to be fun. So more of me if you like that sort of thing. But listen to the trailer. It's insane. Are we done? Yeah. We're done, man. All right. Episode three in the books, baby. All right. Well, we'll catch you next time for more film soliloquy. Yeah, like we always do at this time I'd go for mine and made plans for yours Cause I got the shine Go bar for bar, go line for line Like Kobe in 99, I'm so close to prime Bad bitch by my side, I'm so close behind We living in a moment, there's no post to buy You think there was a deal that I'm supposed to sign The game's just a mountain that I'm supposed to climb I remember, man, 11 years old when I made it to go Up in Fairville, I related to cold Fresh bubble jacket, shit, I hated the cold But when winter come around, we would play in the snow They had enough North Sway, so I made it to flow Hey everyone, it's me, Jeff, coming at you live from a public bathroom inside the local library. I want to tell you about my new podcast. I decided to name it Neo Retro Video Game Disco because I don't have a brain. Each episode, I'll be bringing in a guest to talk about a new video game that reminds me of an old video game. Yeah, what a concept. If it's pixel graphics, chip tunes, or our good old spiritual successor, we'll talk about it on Neo Retro Video Game Disco. I need you to go to your favorite place to listen to things that come down from the internet and search Neo Retro Video Game Disco. When you do that, click the subscribe button because you're going to want to hear this hot mess coming at you seven days a week. One of those seven days each week. But once you do that, my mom said we could be friends again. Subscribe to Neo Retro Video Game Disco on Apple Podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcast, or wherever you listen to things that come down from the internet.